clubhouse. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And today we're here to discuss the 11th episode of the third season of Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale. This one is called Liars! <laughs> nice. Or do you think it's Liars? I think it might be more like Liars. You think it's like that? Yeah, I think everything in Gilead's like Liars. I was noticing that in this episode especially, so much talking was under their breath. It, but it didn't matter who it was. They, they flipped from scene to scene. And it was whether, whether it was June with the Marthas or uh, Serena and Fred at that farmhouse. But they were still kind of talking like this. I feel like Fred always is talking a little like this. I can't think of times when he's not really talking like this. Well, you know, those are bad times when he's stern. (laughs) Okay, so we are going to jive into the Waterfords uh, storyline. And really, it's the Serena storyline, really. She decides to go ahead and pull the trigger on that sat phone in the last episode, at least introduce it to Fred. Now, did you think that this whole thing was going to be a Fred setup? Or did you think that she was legit going to try to get both of them out? Just like they led me to, I thought... It was a twofer. After a few moments with them in the car and they were talking back and forth and Fred is basically trying to make it sound like he's he's got this whole thing under control and that they're going to talk to this guy, they're gonna use him, they're gonna, you know, rule the roost, end up with Nicole, all this all those kinds of things that, that made it sound like he knew what he was doing. And Serena's responses to him were very muted. Mm. And and that's when I started to be like, there's not a complete honesty happening here between these two. They might be liars. Well, that was the question mark. Is is he? Oh, I think they're both liars on this in this entire story. I mean, obviously, I agree with you. They lulled us in from the moment of the sunglasses on Fred police with those sunglasses on Fred. When he pulls up, he's like, hello. Like, I was like, oh my well, god. What and is that like? Uh, was com- it supposed com- to be kind of Don Drapery? Maybe. A little Ray-Ban-esque. I mean, certainly the Let's Twist song. Yeah. If you are Elizabeth Moss fans, then you will remember her from Mad Men. And in the second season, the show opens up with a montage set to Let's Twist Again, like we did last summer. Anytime I hear musical cues from an actor's previous work, I always think that there's a link. I'm not exactly sure how what, what the link is here, other than maybe just like... I don't know. What What do you think it might be? Well, I think the song is like nostalgic, you know, in a way that has that like, you know, let's let's do this again. Like, let's let's have those memories again. And obviously there was like a carefree nature of the song that makes you feel like, you know, like we can do this. There's that, like a hopefulness and excitement that's behind it. And well, she's driving and, in that scene, which is something that's been forbidden for several years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, I, you know, stuff like that. I just it. It really mixes me up about Fred because I feel like in one way, I have zero faith in him that he would ever not sell out everybody all the time. But then at the same time, he does stuff like that. You know, he's like, hey, why don't you drive? And she's even like, no, no. And he's like, no, you should drive. And and he's like encouraging. He's like, it's like falling off a bike, like all this kind of stuff. Is that right? Falling off a bike? No. I think it's like riding a bicycle. (laughs) Yeah, like riding a bicycle. Um, And it just, it's totally, it gives you this weird unpredictability about him that I know we've discussed in the past is like what makes Gilead like one of the most scary places in the world is that inconsistency, that feeling of like someone like Aunt Lydia could be nice to you one second and then be slapping you around in the next. Fred's very much the same. So is Serena. Like everyone's kind of like bipolar in all of Gilead. Like they always think an idea is good for the moment 
And then they're like, why'd you bring that idea up? Like the next second, this entire episode could certainly be under that umbrella. And there's been sort of um, a a weird like localization of one commander's power. So like if you're too far outside your circle and you are screwing around with the rules, why would any guardians that ever found you, why would they be like, oh, Commander Waterford? Why, why, you know? um, I don't know. And that part, again, like going back to the consistency question mark of this place, like I don't really get how Fred could just get a car and nobody noticed. I feel like those are the moments that I know they're trying to kind of hustle us along in some ways, but in the world building sense, Part of the things that people like about things like Mission Impossible or any type of detective slash spy kind of thing is when you're going along with them and you see the moments when they're clever, because that like is what gives you like a little bit of like, a ooh, that's so cool. So knowing that Fred has always had a driver and knowing that they can't really be outside of certain areas by just completely skipping, how did he get the car? Why can they be off the grid for like several, you know, definitely overnight? Where are they supposed to be sleeping that night? There's people who would be accountable for that, you know, staff, guardians, whatnot, that would be waiting outside who would know where Waterfords were, that it's like missing the parts about where they're actually being clever and how they're actually getting around the rules is what's interesting to a lot of viewers. Here's the one thing that I think might make that permissible in this one case is later when Joseph brings up that he couldn't do those things. They don't show him trying to do it. He just says, I couldn't get out. Well, they wanted papers and he didn't have papers or anything to show. And meanwhile, Fred, on the other hand, has whatever swinging dick you need in Gilead these days to not only dress in commander casual. Total commander casual. <laughs> but but drive your own car uh, without uh, an entourage. But I think that word without is where I'm going to like really just like lash onto and say, but like without any explanation to us, like they haven't shown us that he got some big fat promotion. They haven't explained anything to us. It's just, we're supposed to just accept some idea that like, okay, he seems to be in charge. We're really not sure. Do they even live in DC? Like, where do they live, Paul? Is it even clear to us at this point? No. no. I'm, I'm, I'm very confused about where exactly they're doing this. Understanding how this all goes in their storyline and where they end up across the border. I mean, now we're like, where did they drive and how did they drive for so long? And where did they start? And yeah, that what, DC to the borders far. And was he picking her up at an airport or a, like a residence or it what? Seemed, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Again, like these are the moments, though. Like, do you agree with me about spy movies that like the the coolest parts of those things is when they show you how the how the bomb was worked or how the how they managed to slide past something when they actually take the extra time to show the laser lights and show, you know, Tom Cruise slithering between the lasers. Like if you don't see them actually doing it, if you just watch Tom Cruise on the outside of the door and then suddenly they show you inside the door and they never showed you how did he get past all the booby traps? How did he get past all of the... Do uh, you get where I'm going where you're like missing some of the fun for the audience of like, but we want to see how you subverted the rules of Gilead. We, we want to understand how you got a car. Who were guardians who were on the inside who would have allowed you to? Do you get what I'm saying? Like why that's annoying to me as like... 
that's world building. And it's actually important because if they showed us that there were ways to get transportation that go around the system, then that allows us to understand how June could possibly exploit the system at another point in time. Mm -hmm. But if they just leave it blank, he just shows up and gives you like a winky wink with the sunglasses. I mean, I guess we have that character moment, Commander Casual, but... I don't know. You get where I'm going? I do. I do. The how really matters. You can't just show a character go from point A to point B without showing us the how, because they've explained that this world is so complicated and so suffocating that the getting from point A to point B is the complex storyline. But with this Waterfords, they just let them go from point A to point B with zero explanation. The only thing that's implied is that he's so powerful that that could happen. But, but, the way that the way that everything ends up, it seems more likely as he's he's just powerful enough to get away with it for a short amount of time. That's that's my only guess, but it still doesn't satisfy the idea of the how. It's it's just more like why he could end up with a car in a gray suit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just find it like the okay. Moving on though, this farmhouse. I like the uh, the concept of the farmhouse because it does let us know that there are communities and or just like these outlying areas where there are families that seem to be actually functioning kind of typically. Like when the the wife says, "Oh, you know, my parents moved in with us to help us out with the kids to raise these children." Like they have all these children, and they seem to be living. I don't know what we would consider a typical life having the grandparents move in how about you know they they seem happy they seemed like they were like singing their songs very waltons and so i liked that little nugget of world building because it kind of implies that there would be like way stations because now the waterfords have shown us a way station between wherever like more uh, populated areas of gilead are and the border and i know moira's story a little bit showed us that remember when she was at that one farmhouse and she was kind of running remember Mm -hmm. so they kind of showed us that there's like these little pauses that you can take on the journey to get going but like with emily they didn't bother with that at all you know she just like basically swam across the river and we were like wait a minute they're that close (laughs) like how could it be so in this case wherever the border was and wherever they were starting they had a really long drive exactly long enough that you would stop sleep over sleep over listen to an impromptu concert in a (laughs) in a made-up language (laughs) think it was a made-up language. No, it sounded Although like... Although our Siri would not tell us what song it was playing. It sounded like Dr. Seuss to me. <laughs> I don't think it was Dr. Seuss, but... Someone will probably write in and say it was like the Dutch National Anthem I'm or sure something. I'm sure it... You know, it wouldn't surprise me if those people were like Amish or Pennsylvania Dutch or something like that. That's it's kind still of the far only thing away. I yeah. I mean, it's still far away. I mean, I just drove all around up there and it's still a haul. Like... You still got a far way to go. So I'm not quite sure what they were up to. Now, there was some important conversation that we should talk about. When they're walking around out in the woods, kind of, um, you know, having their moment, a little nostalgic about the bakery. Again, I was wondering, are they lying to each other again? I even kind of felt like Fred's response. Now, maybe this is just a female thing, but when he said, you know, I kept giving you the chocolate, the chocolate croissants. And I know he said this jokingly, but as a woman, I'm just having a little moment about it. When he's like, I wanted to fatten you up so that other guys wouldn't be interested in you. Yeah. Um, so Fred's control streak is real and was always there. And like, that's really gross. That's really gross to have that tendency inside of you to want to mold another person in such a way that 
their life would be different without them even knowing it. Like you manipulated her weight by providing something you know she's going to eat and she's going to eat a lot of. And since she was sitting and writing, we can presume she was like, you know, sitting all day long, you know. That's a traditional way to write. You know what I'm saying? The idea that she was like being, you know. Um, sedentary. Sedentary. That's the word I'm looking for, Paul. Thank you. Um, I just felt like, it. don't you think that that just like teeny tiny glimpse, like he didn't say, I brought that to you because I love you and I knew you would love a little snack. And, and so I brought that to you out of just pure goodness of my heart. When he reveals, I gave that to you to fatten you up so other so I could keep you to myself. There's something about that like liars title that comes back that's like, ooh, you're so gross. With knowing how it ends up, judging those conversations through that lens makes it possible that she was giving him probing type testing type questions. Okay. I mean, I'm pretty sure she was like 99% going to go through with her plan, but maybe, maybe if he had said the right exact thing, he could have saved himself. You know what I mean? Mm, I don't know. I mean, I think that there were a lot of moments there. She was testing him. I thought she was testing him. I do think so. I really do think so, too. I agree with you. When you say, like, hey, do you remember that time? And then you kind of, like, let it, like, linger. And then the other person's like, yeah. I thought the part where they sort of said, you know, if we had stayed there and we hadn't moved on with our world the way it played out, you would have left me because you would have gone and found a fertile woman. And he's like, no, you would have left me because you would have found a man that could have gotten you pregnant. That back and forth, because they kind of just like get quiet after that, is like some sort of admission between them. Like this was never going to work out. Whether you became the agent behind her that, you know, spawned her book deals and all this stuff happened and she became famous and you became the sort of just like the quiet guy behind the behind her. This was never going to work out. And I think that that conclusion of that conversation of like it wasn't going to work out here and it wasn't going to work out out there either. Because eventually, kind of no matter what story unfolded, we weren't going to stay together. I think that's kind of important to her being able to make that step. And it's important that they both thought that it had to do with, I mean, superficially, they thought it was maybe career interests or something. like. But but it came down to child-related interests. And yeah. that is ultimately what does undo them in this episode. Exactly. So the other little part that I think was just, I don't know, we could have like a moment about it is the idea that they showed them sleeping in in two separate beds. Now I have a lot of question marks about the actual like set and then the way that they shot this because I just thought it was weird. The the heads of the beds were clearly up against the wall and then they show them, you know, she invites him over to her bed. Okay, cool. You know, and then there's a lot of sort of like neck a lot of, you know, kissing on their neck. Right. His head comes in right? from like above her head. Like as if he was standing between the wall. Like his body was out the window. <laughs> no, it was weird. Like it comes over the top of her. Like at first it's coming from behind her, which is weird because then he went all the way. He like she he was on one side of the bed. Right. And then she says, come over here. And so then what did he do? He went all the way on the other side of the bed. Like he walked all the way around or like did one of those log roll moves where you just <laughs> log roll over the other person. And Romantic. Like, right? I know. And you lay on the other side because then now we have like her in front. But then it was weird, too. Like you're saying, like, then somehow what did he wedge himself between the bed and the wall and then wanted to come over the top and kiss from that angle well, again? Some real weird. questions for that intimacy that was, consultant. I thought it was all weird. It didn't really make any sense. And even, I would say, we only presume they slept together. 
I mean, there was a lot of neck action, but I'm not sure that they actually did anything else than that. I mean, that's... I don't need to see Fred and Serena. I'm not saying I knew, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, we see a lot of graphic stuff. I mean, the the guest bed at the farmhouse is going to be one creaky mother. uh, Yeah, I want to talk about that in a second, but I do want to say this for for one minute before we move on. If you were going to show us one moment of intimacy in this show, this entire series, right? Everything else is a rape. But these two people actually consensually are going to have some sort of moment together and you just have them kiss necks and then, <laughs> then like leave. Didn't that a little bit seem like kind of like you got gypped? Like it was like, can you never have any moment of actual sincere, genuine love interaction sexually? Is everything always have to be in this grotesque When you said intimacy coach, that made me think like, does the intimacy coach even know that there's like a genuine way to interact with each other versus like they're very good at making rape scenes. But like, (laughs) do you know what I'm saying? Like, really, that's all they thought that that husband and wife would have done is just like peck on the neck. That's a good question, because there's a moment later. uh, There's several moments later where they are ponderously long on certain shots. Yes. So I don't feel like it was like a timing issue. I don't know. I think that shit's cheap because again, sex is used a whole lot in this episode and of course throughout. But if you're going to use sex in that particular thing as it was some sort of goodbye between them, I think that that was really crap to those two characters to not actually like let that scene play out a little bit and actually have a moment where you're like, look, they were genuinely into each other at some point in time like they really had like a real relationship this was actually real and like they're having their like sort of like last moment here it could it was it was fertile territory to do more because it's hilarious that i just said into each other and you just said fertile territory like we are so like listen to us (laughs) we know that fred regards the hand coming across the chasm between the Mm -hmm. the catholic birth control system there to be an invitation back in right right whereas she's offering it as like a one more time around, it's all you get. <laughs> and and well, one more time two, to remember you by two two very different um, emotional objectives there. Yeah, I just think that that if you're gonna use physical sex, like we just used witness in the previous episodes, where you were using sex as like a weapon, right? You were using it to basically torment the the Lawrences. You were using it to have some sort of revenge type moment with June, like haha, look what I, I made you have to have sex with Joseph. All these kinds of things. Then again, like use that moment to actually mean something between these two characters. You know, it, mm-hmm. I would have preferred that. Do I want to see friends who are going to have sex? No, I do not care about them. But if you're going to use it, freaking use it. You know, don't just like wander away. Don't let the camera just be like, go off to the moonlight. <laughs> like, <laughs> ah, you know, you don't ever do that when they're raping someone. You don't just pan the camera over to something else. Right. You make us see the whole thing. Like so, some slow piano music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So boo on all that. All right, let's get down to the true nitty gritty of this. Too low. He's like, follow me. I got a safe place. Let's go. Did you expect them to have crossed the border? Because I tell you, I did. When he finally got stopped the car, the way that he stopped, just kind of rando, it appeared. You knew, like, in your heart, like, oh, they just crossed the border. Well, I was thinking when they showed us, like, their fifth driving shot, I was like, why are they spending so much time on driving? Unless he is pulling him further and further north where something can happen. That's a pretty fancy car. It's hard to believe there's not a single... um, 
GPS, GPS type or, or a at least map a compass. Or, and don't you think that if you were a high up level of Gilead member, you would be pretty on point about where the border points were of your suspicious country? Don't you think you would know like exactly where your country ended for very specific reasons? And I would have... He's also supposed to be like a part of the war effort stuff, right? I would have thought... Come on. that Wait, I have to have a moment, Paul Daly. Now, I am not about military stuff, okay? I am not, people. But if you are going to have the maps that that man had in his office, you're telling me that man doesn't know where the border of his country is? Come on. BS. He should know. He BS. should know. And little passages like that you'd think would be locked down even now without you know the well, I, hostility. Yeah, I agree i mean head scratcher i mean everything is so unsecure we, we i mean, know we talked about this with emily like she appeared to cross at a highly populated area she didn't even have to go that far there were buildings and stuff like there was a bridge like this was clearly she wasn't in the middle of the woods now more that was way more like fields and woods right. and whatever, but not Emily. And so none of these places are ever locked down. I don't know. I have a real hard time with this, you guys, world building wise. Like, I'm not saying that they would have had the time, the resources or the energy to have a man in every point, but you wouldn't have a high level commander stumble across the border without some real serious trickery. Like, wouldn't it have been so much cooler if you saw Serena disable the GPS in the car? Or too low, give her some information about some way that they're going to trick Fred into crossing the border, even though he knows where the border is. That would make more sense. Like, wouldn't that have been so much smarter? But like, and that's so annoying because again, going back to that, like, what's so fun about a mystery? What's so fun about, like, we just finished Veronica Mars. Not going to talk about that right now, but going to say this, the fun part of shows like that is when they undo the clues and you actually get a chance to like say, oh, that's how they got to where they are. The idea that Fred and Serena simply drove themselves across the border with no regard to anything seems like... I can't believe that Fred would do that. And I can't believe that Serena and Tulo didn't have any need to intervene and trick him into crossing the border. The excuse that he had no reason to distrust Serena doesn't get you far enough to him not having some consciousness of position. I'm just going to say this, okay? If I am a part of some very brand new country that we have actually had to take land from another country in order to have... And God willing, you will be. You can be sure... I am going to be very clear about the border points. I'm going to know exactly where I'm safe and exactly when I've crossed the border. Like there is no doubt in my brain. And I am not even into this, Paul. But that is how much I would be sure that I would know. And I know you, you would, my God, you would have it all mapped out to a T. Right. You'd be in charge of the decorating. And oh, goodness. Educational it system. Would, it would be lovely. But I'm just saying. That's stupid. That's stupid. Now, having said that, having given great eyebrows to this, how do you feel about Serena having actually pulled this on Fred? She is clever. She is sly. She's smarter than him. She knows what she wants and he doesn't. He doesn't know what he wants. I mean, that conversation well, that they had. What he wants doesn't match what she wants and what he wants is just no, no, the petty control this. that he gets from being 
you know, Commander Waterford. Yeah, but get this. When they're in when they're in the woods, right? And he's saying, like, we could have this farm life. We could just retire from the system and come out here and raise our daughter because I don't want to miss her first steps and I don't want to miss all this stuff, right? It is so hollow when you know that the man has like done everything he could to a push off getting the kid back like you know the kids are already taking their first steps and i wonder even if you really did like a little like if you if if it was like uh the good doctor and you actually like zoomed in on serena's brain right there and she did like the schematic for you yeah when he said i don't want to miss our daughter's first steps that mama brain went like this she already took her first steps, you asshole. We missed it because you've made us wait an entire six months. And that kid was already how big when I saw her at the airport. And it's been an additional six months since then. That kid's walking and talking. Jerk mm. face. You know, like you've already made us miss that. I feel like moments like that where he thought he was being endearing. He thought he was saying, oh, hey, we're going to totally have this family together and we're going to not miss these moments. She's in her head being like, <laughs> You're the cause of missed moments, sir. You are Fred, missed moments, Waterford. All the things. She could have been writing books. She could have been having a life. She could have been a mom. But Fred, missed moments, Waterford, totally squelched. Okay, so what happens with Serena, Paul, moving forward? Is she going to some Hawaiian island? Is that where we're going to see her? Are we going to see her back with the baby this season? Or are they going to have to put her through some sort of interrogation? Is Fred coming back in on the scene? Like, what can we expect? We've only got a couple episodes left. How far do we get with the water first? So we just kind of leave them in the, the think tank somewhere? Think tank's not right. Maybe drunk tanks of Canada? I don't know. Something. I'm dying to know what her deal is with whom. Like we saw that there were both Canadians and Americans present uh, during Fred's takedown, but whose custody are they in? He was put into a Humvee that had a little Canadian maple leaf on it. Yes, but and we definitely saw that there were some sort of guards slash officials there with American flags on it. Yes. Most certainly we feel Serena went into that car. Her objective is to be with Nicole. Nicole is with Luke. Luke I hope isn't going to be like, thank God, take this kid. I think he's going to be like, no. So what does that mean? I don't know what that means. I mean, uh, that means to me, that means she's going to move to Toronto, wherever he lives. I'm assuming it's Toronto. You're right that there are more challenges than just physically getting Serena outside of Gilead and then somehow getting her in the same place with Nicole. Like there's other obstacles. I mean, Nicole is in the custody currently of Luke, we presume legally in some way from the Canadian standpoint. They didn't take her and put her in some sort of foster care system. I mean, she's with him, apparently with their blessing, with the Canadian government's blessing to raise her. Right. They haven't. It appears that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's sort of the weird thing about child custody that you've found in other cases. You've looked up things related to this and the results were not as black and white as you would hope in terms of like, if you've been taking care of kid for a while, then you have as much claim to that kid as anybody, unless some family member just like pops up and says, no, I'm I'm definitely that kid's mother. But if it's, if in the absence of that, or those people have been deemed completely out of the picture for one reason or another, then have you been taking care of this kid for a while? Do you want to keep it for longer than that? Then, I, then that's the way it goes. Which is so weird because if we really think about like the, the kid's shortage, I mean, 
the kid is very valuable, right? That baby is very valuable. Very. So if you think about it from the standpoint of like, stop thinking about it as a baby and just think about it as something valuable. If Emily came across with like a bag of gold coins and everyone was looking for gold coins, could she just be like, hey, Luke, do you want this giant bag of gold coins? And the government be like, cool, Luke, you hang on to that bag of gold coins. They would not. I think they would not. And so it's a little like, huh, that they just were like, hey, that baby's super valuable. And there's a lot of people in the in Canada and other countries that would like really like this baby. But uh, sure, you're a rando guy. Why not you take it? <laughs> like, huh? Because we all would think about it from the other standpoint of we are overrun with children who need homes. Most of the time they would say, go be a foster parent, go adopt a child. There are so many children who need a loving home. But we're in opposite day land where you have all these loving homes and all these people who are very fit to have children who don't have children. And so funny to give single loner man <laughs> yeah. a, a baby in an apartment with like three women or something. No, I mean, how many people live here? You know, it's like all sketchy and I, it, it's kind of funny. I think that situation turned out a little odd, really. Again, in the world building standpoint, why wouldn't there be a system in place for some sort of explanation as to how that child was given to Luke. Why wouldn't we have seen some sort of court proceeding? Why wouldn't we have seen at least gl glance the camera by a form that said that Luke requested custody? Do you know what I'm saying? Well, this is TV and in TV, My Two Dads makes perfect sense. Oh, boo hiss <laughs> on that, Paul. My Two Dads was so long ago. It was so long ago. Okay. In this day and age, I'm sorry. We like expect more realism, right? We, I mean, okay, listen, you guys, when we were in ATX, there, that, uh, that would be Austin television festival. We went to a couple different panels and one we did not get to go to was one concerning police procedurals and the whole concept of like, how much does like a police procedural owe to the audience to actually be accurate? Like things like, you know, DNA testing, do they portray it correctly? Yeah, Are they actually showing it accurately? Presented by, what was it, ACLU or Amnesty International or somebody that Yeah, somebody who was like a know. little like, hey, let's talk about how a police report works. Let's talk about how like, like, do they owe it to you as like general citizen whom sadly, or however you want to look at it, we get a lot of our information from entertainment. So like we might actually think that, you know, running into a police station is like how it all works out, right? You just run in, you fill out a report, right? Somebody takes your testimony or whatnot, right? But you and I have been a part of things here in our own town where we have walked into a police station and do you know how that works out? The police officer literally was like this, huh, well, you might want to go to a different grocery store. <laughs> right. That was literally the answer we got when we were like, listen, I'm not going to get into the details, but there was a guy hanging out in the parking lots pretending to be a security guard and telling people where to park and was yelling at one of the people who help our children for parking in a parking spot. And we were saying, why is this man allowed to be writing fake tickets and somehow doing this? And the policeman's, the police officer, when we went in said, you know, if you go over to the other grocery store, that guy's not there. You know what's funny about that? Well, not a lot, really. Is that that person is a real person. He's appointed by, I learned this, he's, he's appointed by the mayor's office. Oh my God. And he can give tickets. And he's specifically there to look for people parking in handicapped parking spots. You guys, but, this is so bizarre. Our people uh, have handicapped parking spots, like, uh, like placards. It's all crazy town. But dude, what makes it not seem legit 
is that this guy wheels around on a moped or like a scooter, kind of, kind of like yeah, more like Paul Blart. Yeah, and then he's he's got an orange vest on that just says like parking volunteer or something like that, and then he wears like moccasin shoes and like sweatpants <laughs> and goes and does his his. We're his getting a civic little duty. off point. I'm the, just saying. The main thing is that I need we authority went, figures to look authoritative. When we went into the police department, we expected it to go a certain way. We thought as like upstanding well, they should know citizens, about that guy. right? We thought as citizens of the community, we could like have a complaint and they would handle it in a way that we saw on TV, you know, where someone went and followed it up. Now, the flip side to every TV show is the police uh, say the same thing, like, get out of here, piss up a rope, like whatever, <laughs> you know, they're never interested in helping either or, right? <laughs> so now we're both laughing because I don't remember what we've we were lost our thread. <laughs> I know we were talking about realism and that that oh about the about the child and about the baby about whether or not there should child have been some right. amount of explanation specifically let me tell you this Paul why does it matter because Aunt Lydia had that little form back in her backstory and they actually showed it to you that this emergency like taking of the child was like a real form so that implied that you should just follow that through for the rest of the show then you know like show how the children are working in this system. Do you get what I'm saying? Yep. I know this is very long-winded and I apologize for you having to learn about the weird parking attendant in our town. It's weird. It's weird, Moccasin Joe. We don't agree with you. <laughs> we want you to cut it out, but maybe we should try to figure out if he knows the border of his parking lot and we could lure him across the border. And, and like push him and off like, his scooter. <laughs> and then get like the other grocery store to like be like, now you're part of H-E-B <laughs> and just like snag him, take him away a la Fred, right? So yeah. you think Fred's going to really be brought up on war crimes? The oh, whole definitely. concept of these commanders all of a sudden being very worried about war crimes is like, what a shocking turn of events. What the hell, Paul? Season one and season two, nobody's worried. Everybody's loose as a goose. Nobody's worried about war crimes. All season three, all we've been hearing about is, but what about the war crimes we're going to be brought up on? What about the war crimes, Paul? If you remember when they went on that trade junket or whatever yeah, it was yeah. they were dismissed right away when when something i can't remember what it was but something was learned about them and they were like we can't have that so you're gone when you're traveling as an ambassador you have a certain amount of diplomatic immunity which i guess doesn't extend just when you happen to stumble across the border you got to be there officially totally agree with you but you hear what i'm saying the we have not heard the phrase war crimes until season three True. And now it is like Commander Joseph's main concern over there, right? The Lawrence's got a big war crime concern on their heads. And now we're hearing it with the Waterfords. Again, you guys, in that whole shifting of like Mexico came over and visited with the Waterfords at their house season one, right? They're all visiting. They're all hanging out. Nobody's throwing out war crime talk. Nobody's throwing out all this. They have not given us any indicator as to what has changed in the world that Canada is so willing to now trick commanders across the border. Help me out with this. Like, did I miss something in the in the shift of the show from Mexico coming in and being like, oh, well, we can't really do anything to help you, handmaids, to now we're tricking commanders? Regardless of what Mexico does, Mexico is Mexico. Yeah, that's right. Canada is Canada. Canada doesn't seem to have any, uh, they don't truck with these these war criminal types. This, it's one thing to deal with them about this child thing, because they don't want to be seen as monsters that are harboring someone else's child. But on the other hand, I mean, they haven't given her up yet. So and they haven't really exposed us to, as to why. I know. 
Grr. So I the, just, the concern I about war crimes, I mean, that is a buzzword that's just come up pretty suddenly. suddenly. And it makes you think that, like, I mean, okay, so you guys, we it's haven't a realization seen realization of, of, of what they know that they've done. On some level, they know that they've done wrong. Joseph does, I at guess, least. But, I mean, I don't, um, we haven't seen episode 12 or 13, you guys, so we have zero, like, everything we're saying to you right now is coming from, like, pure ignorance in terms of, like, I don't know where this is going. But I would say that that blank spot that Chicago is for us and wherever the hell they sent Nick off to. You know, last time we saw him, he's saluting people. And now we haven't talked about him in some time. It makes me wonder if there's going to be any type of explanation lying in whatever was going on over there as to why all of a sudden there's a real rampant concern about war crimes. Now, that would be nice, but unfortunately, I kind of feel like even looking at Paul's face, he's saying, Caroline, you are not going to get payout on that. Like, you think we're going to go see Chicago and Nick and all that stuff? I do not think we're going to see what that is. But yeah. do you hear what I'm saying? That, like, there was, like, a battle supposedly coming that Nick and all these other commanders needed to, like, I think get their war for. crimes, are they more, like, party to blowing up the American Congress. And that's, I think. Oh, no, I don't mean that Nick got taken in. I'm trying to say that, like, whatever that skirmish or whatever, if you remember about halfway through the season, we were sitting here saying, well, maybe the reason why we're seeing less guardians in the grocery store it's is they're because they're fighting elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, they were fighting somewhere. Like, something, uh, there was something going on, a conflict elsewhere that I wondered if, uh, I mean, is that, this I is, don't know. This is feeling like a rat hole in oh, regards to this episode. Hole. Is Fred going to be prosecuted. This is how I think it's going to go. They're going to threaten him with every kind of prosecution that they can possibly muster and then come back and say, but we can go a lot lighter on you if you start telling us the way in and, you know, secrets and that kind of shit. Might even get to see your wife and kid again. Who knows? So do you think Fred's going to end up being like a linchpin kind of guy to take down more? I mean, obviously that would be Mm. like part of it. It's tricky. It's tricky. He's very self-serving. He stands to be in that position where he gives gives information, but he also could just clam up. Um, Intrigue. Unless he's threatened with survival. I mean, going to jail is one thing, but going dead is another thing. Going dead? Yeah. You know who almost went dead? Who went dead? Almost went dead. Almost. Almost. Joseph Lawrence. Could you believe that Eleanor was like actually had a gun on him? Well, she's, you know got the emotional instabilities um so yeah yeah. still did you expect that well i didn't think there'd be a gun in the house she was super upset post witness episode sure i mean she was just really ravaged after that i mean she really when she was like yelling at june and saying like you know he's the reason why you've been getting raped for all these years like wow i mean sometimes the straight talk in these episodes is like, it's kind of mind-blowing, you know? Like when Eleanor can just say that, like, hey, this is the guy that has caused you to be raped all these years. Is like, I don't, I mean, is it a little mind-blowing as like a as like a watcher of the show? Are you like, wow, they're just like saying it. It is nice to have it just out there. I mean, even though we all know, we all already know, but it is nice to have it said so that things that we know are validated. I mean, it's not like he refuted that, like, or even tried to squirm around or say, well, actually, it was kind of a group effort or, you know, something like that. So, yeah, it's validating. When they had their chat and Joseph said that he'd get the 
get the bigger truck or group of trucks or whatever? Did you did you take him at his word initially? I kind of did. I think I did because I was thinking that it's so difficult for me to tell where Eleanor's brain is kind of working at. And, and a lot about her seemed to be in that moment pretty lucid about the idea of like what he had done. And so if there was any amount of her saying like, I have a plan and, um, you know, we can get out all these people in front of Eleanor, you know, mm-hmm. then I thought that perhaps that Joseph would stick to it because of Eleanor, not because of June and not because of the good of anything, but just really if Eleanor heard that he was a part of this plan to get kids out, maybe that would be his way to make amends with Eleanor, basically. Like if he was like, look, I am a good person. I know I did this awful thing, but... Which I'm like grinning at because it's like you formed a country. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't just like a small thing, but, you know, the whole idea of trying to crawl out of this hole that he's dug for himself seems like the first steps would be helping June. Now, how surprised were you about the Martha Mafia? The Mafia, if you will. I I go with Mafia. Oh, Mafia? You were going Mafia? I was going Mafia. Okay. I kind of like Mafia. I kind of like Mafia. Funky to say. It makes sense that there's people in charge, but it the way that we got the muffin baskets last week made me think like we should have known something about these uh, Mother Superior Marthas a little earlier. Or at I, least Beth should have. Beth. I mean, forget have. about us. Exactly. I mean, she seemed like she was like kind of surprised that they were going to try to step in. But for any of you guys who who didn't in any way absorb this part or whatever, maybe you were looking away. Basically, what I was taking it as that there was this already echelon of Marthas who were taking it upon themselves to do all of this. Getting we assume the shipments were things like medication, birth control devices whatever what have you that was going through Jezebel's Uh that was then like coming in so I'm not sure what all those things would be I think alcohol was probably a lot of that and other things other supplies whatnot not sure but basically that we did know because of Jezebel's that there had to have been an echelon of people doing that I think we assumed it was like commanders who were basically allowing shipments to come in and somehow being dispersed through Jezebel's I guess I didn't think that that was at a Martha level. Well, there might even be separate black markets, right? Yes. Okay. Talk to me about that. So when Fred was getting things like magazines and shampoo and stuff for June in the first season, am am I going to seriously think that he went to a Martha to get it? I kind of don't see that exactly. I think the the kinds of things that the Marthas would be interested in in getting these shipments for would be it seems like the commanders would want the stuff like the alcohol and the vices and that kind of stuff that had been banned whereas the marthas would need more esoteric kinds of things right so they're making bombs they're trying to create disguises they're trying to do spy kind of stuff they would need that stuff they might need alcohol for things like bartering you know, with, yeah. with men and well, drivers about, and whatnot. I guess what I was thinking was that in the last episode with Witness, how Joseph offered up what appeared to be like the morning after pill yes. to um, June. Yeah, commanders might not. Then you're, no, but see where I'm going? Like, yeah, yeah, so there has to be like, you're right that there has to be like multiple black markets. 
But like the only people who would have control about planes coming in and out would be obviously on a commander level. Right. Right. And then it would have to be that there was like a box with like a false bottom or something that had like other stuff in it Mm -hmm. that was coming in, like something like that. Or stuff like they're talking about with Billy, like can the plane just stay there a few minutes longer? Like like her original escape plan involved a plane that was supposed to stick around a couple minutes later, right? Yes. And so that kind of thing. Yes. Okay, so how shocked were you when Joseph and Eleanor were just like not there in the morning time and that sorry note? Shocked? Not shocked. Shocked, yeah. Um, But then, you know, with his explanation of, you know, I like my wife a lot more than I like you, it made more sense with his character wanting to try to protect his own first and see if that that worked. Because he can live... With himself having done a lot. And so having screwed these kids out of a chance of freedom, I think he can live with that. I'm just surprised that he isn't listening to the rationale of it, of the how once you get it past the, the border, what were you going to use as your collateral? Like the whole idea of bringing the kids across was that you have something of value to bring and that what that's what allows you to get out of the war crimes. Why all of a sudden is the concern about war crimes maybe just diminished to the point where like you are just going to cross the border and you don't care anymore? This is a outside thought, but maybe the concern for his wife finally overrode his concern for himself and like he would be brought up on war crimes and all that kind of stuff, but but at least she would then be in someone's care that could help her. And the chance of them two getting caught as opposed to this convoy right. of trucks right. unsuspiciously heading north, I you know, they, Not just they that, had a better but chance. You, you would have to have, in theory, if it's 52 children, there's at, at the, I guess... I don't, I mean, there could be more than one kid in a household, but I would say 52 households also have to not figure out a child's gone for some period of time, you know, which I know that that's the role of the Marthas then, you know, is to be like, oh, they're in the play yard or whatever, you know, just continuously lying. But it, it was weird to me that the plan seemed like for so long, Joseph and Eleanor had ignored the idea of ever leaving because they couldn't figure out how to get him around the war crimes. And then she comes up with this idea of like, all you need is this trade and they'll let you through. And then they're like, okay, yeah, never mind. We're just going to go. Eleanor never pulled a gun on him before. True that. True that. Okay. So now we have a new plan, right? Jezebel, Billy. Somehow Billy is going to be able to be the key to getting out. You know, on some level, it might have made more sense to delegate this to Beth because <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm. she knew her way around Jezebel's also and had more rapport with Billy, whereas June has zero rapport with Billy. Good a call. And so I know that because, again, we only follow June and like even though there's other people who would probably make a heck of a lot of sense. Yeah, that didn't make sense at all, really, when you think about it, that Beth could have easily gone and talked to Billy or gotten a message to Billy. Why would June put herself in this position? Why would Joseph expose himself by having his handmaid just out on the floor? Oh, doesn't that seem like an awfully terrible idea? Especially when your handmaid is kind of like the most famous handmaid, the one that that seems to be catching all the guys in charge eye. 
I mean, it created some dramatic moments and all that kind of shit, but yeah, it made more sense to do it another way. Yeah. it's So that's the parts where in like when we really get down to it, when you're like, God, this doesn't make sense. Now, it was important as we move on, like once you commit to this, okay, it's June. June's going to be the one. June's going to be the one there. Did you think it was realistic that Billy would think that art collateral was actually like a real valuable thing? Did that, did that make sense in our current world? Yes, and no. Yes, in that it has intrinsic value. No, in that how in the hell would you move it? You know, or what would you do with it? Would you? Is there, that there are that certain things just... that are pointless to possess in like Ill- illegally? Like you wouldn't go steal the Mona Lisa because you couldn't sell it to anyone, and you wouldn't want to hang on to it unless unless you really like the Mona Lisa, right? But assuming you're just a piece of shit art thief. You can't move it, so it's worthless to you. And that's this stuff. Well, and it also, like, more than that, like, I mean, Billy's not a commander. It's not like he has some home that he can, like, go put it in. Or, do you know what I'm saying? Like, this seems like you'd be going with the idea that Gilead's on the way down. And whomever owns the Picassos at the end are going to rightfully own them. Does that make sense? Do you think that when Gilead collapses and everyone who has anything illegal is going to be tried on war crimes? Do you think that Billy standing there being like, I was just the bartender, but is it cool by everyone if I keep all the Picassos? (laughs) Or do you think whomever is like going to try to like create justice is going to say, and you're going to need to give back all the art? A number of things. A number of things. If say, maybe America doesn't re-inherit America. Maybe it's somebody else. Another government forms. They might stand to nationalize everything and just say, we own everything until, until we sort out who owns what, you know? So yeah. it could go a number of I don't know. It just seems so worthless to me. Like, I mean, and the fact that he was like, oh, like, I don't, mm, I just don't know. I mean, there should have been something else, something more interesting. I don't know what, I'm not sure what, but I just thought that part was weird. Okay. Now Winslow, Mr. Winslow comes in on the scene. The family man. How much did you want to barf in your mouth? I mean, when they didn't cut away from her leaving the bar mm-hmm. and then they just show her approaching camera. I knew, well, something's going to happen because we don't need to see this part. She's she's made her her entreaty to the bartender. He's he's rebuffed her. Um, and now we're done. So now that since there was more, I knew that there was more. But was knowing that it was Winslow, that makes a lot makes kind of sense. But Jezebel's is in proximity to Boston. We know uh, it's it's a far drive. But Washington, D.C. is a really far drive, right? So Again, eyebrows. So why is he close enough to be at Jezebel's? I don't know. It really doesn't matter why he's there, but this next scene is exactly what we were talking about earlier in this podcast about how long they spend dealing with this assault of June. And, you know, the idea of leaving on your high heels, take off your panties, like this It made you super uncomfortable. I looked at Paul and was like, I don't know why we watch this show. Like, I'm really not okay with this because this was very different for me than even the handmaids part where they had this like really messed up ritualistic ceremony thing. ceremony. Yeah. I mean, that... We had somehow been, you know, kind of eased into that whole thing that that's a part of this. But these parts, this kind of stuff at Jezebel's has not been a steady 
situation. And so when, you know, he's like grabbing at her, punching her and stuff like, this is not for me at all. Like, I can't watch this kind of stuff. But this is exactly what I was talking about earlier, though, about like how, you know, here we have what should have been like an intimate scene between Fred and Serena, and they really just like blow by it. And then here we have this really gross scene and they're like, all in it, you know, like we have to be a part of every second of it, you know, that just really bothers me because it's, it's exploitation. It is. And, and it, I don't, I wish I could find better words for it right this moment, but it just feels like they're just trying to get us really upset about the concept of sex all the time. And there's no balance to it at all. Like there's never anybody who's like lovingly having sex. And even when they have the opportunity, they just breeze by it. So it just, it's kind of like, I don't, I don't know, but I was really surprised at what June ends up doing. And I really want to hear what you have to think about this. This episode runs uh, two women in parallel in big moments in their lives. The first one, Serena, asks her husband, how could you take writing away from me? June, as we know, was a book editor, someone also for whom words are a big deal. So for her to finish off Winslow, symbolically standing in for Gilead with a pen was pretty cool. I thought that was awesome because, you know, she was it was illegal for her to use the pen. <laughs> right. What business would this woman have with a pen? Exactly. And so I thought I did think that that part was cool. And then the sculpture, you know, killing him with that, because even if you I guess if you wanted to use a really broad sense, you could say art. It was art. Right. And if Billy did get actually in any way convinced by the art to, to go against Gilead, then here was art being used again. Right. To take down Gilead. Right. So that's kind of cool because they, they're pretty anti-art music, whatnot. So that's kind of neat. Well, yeah, they're not they're not a society that would I would uh, suspect supports art for art's sake. I would say no. Or expression for expression's sake of any sort, right? I mean, you're allowed to wear like three colors. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. Good call. Okay. So karma came swooping in on this. We have June go through this like shock period. Now... Again, I take pause. This girl's been through quite a bit. Now, I understand hand-to-hand combat and killing of a commander is a big, 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 big deal. However, she's been through a lot. And the idea that she would be in such shock for like a long period of time to the point of like not even like Cleaning getting up. the blood off right. of her face or doing anything feels kind of off. Because we've been discussing the last all these episodes how cold she's become and how much pleasure she takes in the suffering of others. She was ready to kill of Matthew or at least observe while Janine killed her for her. So what the heck? And I don't you guys out there. This is not like some sort of judgment on on victims of abuse or or of an assault or anything. Please take it out of that context. I'm consistency within the character. I'm only talking about this character of June and the fact that she has kind of turned. I mean, Janine has said to her, like, I'm ashamed of you. I don't know you. You've turned into like this person who really has a cold heart. And so the idea that she would kill him and then be in such utter shock that she doesn't even have self-preservation skills to like wash her face off or make any attempt to kind of formulate the next step. I felt like that rang really false for her. The only idea I could think of is maybe she's not as hard as she thinks she is, but it still seems pretty hollow. 
not that she should have just uh, been like, well, the deed is done and then gone to the bathroom, but but still where she is now and what she's done and, and what she's had to do to get there. I mean, Moira had to kill a commander to get out of Gilead, right? And, and Emily were- had to attack Lydia. I'm just saying that I felt like June has seen a lot too. I mean, she saw Emily crush commander's head. You know, she saw Matthew get shot. You know, it's- And this- she was cool on that day. That's what I mean. Like she walked out sauntering. Regardless of that, thank goodness for some karma. Again, this requires a little bit of ignoring the actual facts, but the girl who comes in, the cleaning lady says, I saw you in the cages. You picked me and I'm from Chicago. And so like, I basically want to like, you know, uh, try to. Right. When she was saved, do you think they said. No. June saved you or they were just like you five come over here the rest are gone exactly and so like even though she was in there as far as the woman in the cage would have seen june refused to pick anybody and then after the fact june went back through the files and told joseph these five yes but there's no reason that the girl in the cage would have ever found that out ever known that so so just ignore that Kind of far-fetched, but okay. We're going to say karma somehow found its way there, right? I thought that the cleanup of it all was amazing. I can't remember the five backgrounds that she picked, but she picked professional things like engineer and different, different types of professional backgrounds. So people that knew stuff. I don't remember one of them being like a CSI agent, but you know, okay, we'll just we'll just go with she really knew how to how to clean well. <laughs> she knew if you went over blood about seventeen times with the carpet cleaner, you could finally get it out. I would imagine that there was probably blood and bodily fluids in a lot of the other rooms. The idea of having like the right cleaning products to actually clean that all up doesn't actually seem that odd. That's that's a good observation. I bet. I mean, I'm sure just the way that, you know. uh, I think they beat up the girls if they want to beat up the girls. I do too. That just happens. I do too. And so I think that blood is probably just a part of it and other bodily fluids too are all just a part of it. So I don't think that part was odd at all. I did enjoy though that when they were doing this sort of like Annie montage of getting Winslow's body out of there, I'm referencing Annie like the movie or story where <laughs> Annie hides in the laundry bin. To make her escape. Yeah. So the way that they put Winslow in that and actually incinerated his body and then clean the sheets in that like industrial cleaner. What was cool about that whole thing was that A, there was a team of people involved. So it definitely just wasn't the one woman. B, the idea that the commander's own behavior being so disgusting that they would need to have cleaners that are so strong as to get rid of blood and furnaces that those women would have access to and the industrial size cleaning machines and everything. Those were all set up so the commanders could do whatever they wanted. And Mm. so the idea that that could be turned on Winslow and used against him and have everything look spit spot clean is sweet revenge, like pretty amazing justice there, right? Irony. I believe they call it. So we ended up again with June, you know, still in this sense uh, of shock. And Joseph comes and gives her the gun and says, they're going to be coming for me. Us, I should say. They're coming for us. Right, right. So what What do you think? What do you think? Are they coming 
Are they going to figure it out? Well, he's he's only going off his context clues. When he tried to escape, he found that his various authorizations that allowed him to freely operate a vehicle had been revoked or diminished to the point where he could just tootle around the neighborhood and that was about it. He interpreted that as, oh, my time is up. And so he wanted to go down with a fight, I, I guess, and give June a chance. I don't know what a gun would get you. I mean, those guys, there's too many guys. There's They're carrying our, uh, automatic weapons. Yeah, I'm a little unclear what he's She's a book editor. expecting to do with the gun. A little unclear, but okay. I It I, is Chekhov type type stuff at this point. It does feel that way. I agree with you wholeheartedly. So for, you know, what do you think that gun's going to end up doing? Does that gun kill Joseph then? Is that how Chekhov's gun works? If she, if he's the one that gives it to her, does oh, she have I to don't use think it on rules. him? I don't think there's rules. I mean, it could unfortunately kill like Eleanor or something sad like yeah. that. I mean, this is the kind of show that. where that gun goes off and Eleanor gets it in the guts or whatever. Good call on that. We have to hear her wailing while she dies and this is this okay. is how this show would work so let's 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 go back around so we've covered everything that happened in the show but let's go back around real quick and talk about the this the title of this liars right liars. we have three husbands in this winslow joseph and fred and all three of them have all kinds of crazy lies going on around them we also have this revenge quality going on with Serena and June. Like there is some serious revenge moments that are happening here that were a, a huge step forward in a, in a season that has been kind of dragging along, right? Like Very we, get, much. we get one step forward, 20 steps back. This one felt like, I don't know what's going to come of Winslow being dead. I don't know how that's going to impact our story. I mean, we know he's a higher up. It's a power vacuum and they don't have elections. So true. I like that. I like all you're saying there. And then obviously, you know, Serena, same deal, like with Fred being like snatched away. Then within the smaller little burg that they're in, not being very clear of what that is, there's another leader that just kind of got sucked out of the situation. Right. Um, so you're right. We're starting to have like a big void in leadership. What will that mean? Will that mean that Joseph will be called upon to take up a substitute type of role? I don't know. Maybe. It could be that way. Um, Somebody's got to step into some of these roles. Like we said, he's senior, but more viewed as professorial or like an emeritus type guy that's like, you're still in the club, but you don't have to come to meetings. We know that he's been going to meetings, but, but you, I'm just trying to make a point of that. He's, he's not taken completely seriously as, as like a current member of the, of the control structure. So will they turn to him in light of this power vacuum makes I mean, so far, we've seen that the qu qualifications for any of these things don't appear to matter. You know, they could just be like, were you born with a penis? Well, welcome to the club, Commander. Nice. I would just say, though, that he is one of the, the last commanders that we have been really introduced to properly that would be logical to move into a leadership role. If that happens, does he look at does he look at that elevated position as a better chance of helping Eleanor? If this is all about trying to find a way to help Eleanor, does he look at higher station as a higher likelihood of being better for her than going through with the plan? Good question. Or, or so so I guess my so I guess the the the, the all encompassing question is if he does take a higher leadership role or a more active leadership role, will he act for the good or will he go down a bad path? Will will complete power be completely, what is the word? Corrupting. 
Right. So will it? Will he? In the same way that Fred was all all on board about getting Nicole back, but as soon as he got some power, he was like willing to kind of like like lay off the gas on that. Right. Is Joseph going to be all on, and then get a little bit more power, or or feel like something he's being respected or something? And will he lay off the gas on letting these people all out? Will he even be a squealer on any of this? Like you know what? There's some we need to be watch out for over in this area. What happens? What is it for the good or is it for the bad? He's proven squirrely. And he finally agreed to go along with the plane plan after he thought he was completely out of options. So if other options come along... Will he abandon ship here? Right. I don't know. That's a good question. So listeners, we want you guys to think about that. Like now with Winslow gone out of the picture and Fred ostensibly gone out of the picture, will Joseph be asked to move forward? And if he does, is he going to act for good or for evil? Will he be a liar? Liar. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.